Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, Lead Editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from experts, changemakers, and leaders from the business world. For today's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Jessica Tuman, Head of Enterprise ESG at Voya Financial. She also leads the company's Voya Cares program, which specializes in financial planning needs and advocacy for those with special needs and disabilities, as well as their caregivers. Jessica, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Bianca. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm super pumped to have you. Jessica, please tell me, what's your definition of having a seat at the table? So for me, I think it's really a symbol of influence, uh, the ability to negotiate and getting the resources and investments you need to get things done. So a seat at the table is really about when we discuss women, people of, of color, people with disabilities, being able to direct a company's strategies um, and being empowered to direct those strategies and the decisions that need to be made, the important decisions that need to be made. So that to me is what a seat at the table is. And I think that the journey to the seat can only be gained when you have the credibility and the reputation to deliver. Um, and I think that you know your peers and your superiors need to be able to trust you and recognize that you're capable of directing and making those important decisions. I love that. And of course, uh, through Voya Cares, you're working to advance disability inclusion in business. I also read that you believe that disability inclusion provides more opportunity than just an untapped talent pool. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, sure. Bianca, I don't know if you know this, but one in four Americans has, a, has is a person with a disability. And one in five of us is a caregiver. And actually, after the pandemic, it's probably likely to be one in four of us is a caregiver. Um, and the disabilities community, people with disabilities, not only are they, um, you know, a diverse uh, segment of the workplace, when you include people with disabilities in that decision-making process that we were discussing before, getting them a seat at the table, it allows for that representation. You know, it allows for uh, the disabilities community to be represented in your marketing materials, um, in your product development, in your research, um, and it impacts your brand. Um, so I think there's so many positive impacts that including people, especially with disabilities, it's actually the largest minority. You know, it's the it's double the size of the African-American and Hispanic community uh, combined. It's actually the largest uh, minority group uh, there is out there. And there's, of course, intersectionality with other diverse segments. Um, so I really believe that, and I've seen this in the workplace, we've seen this, um, you know, within my own company, Voya, when, when you do include the disabilities community, your products are going to be so much better. Um, they're going to be inclusive of the um, of the accessibility requirements that people with disabilities have. Um, the, the marketing materials, the images displayed, are going to appeal to the largest minority community. So I, I think it's just a win-win. Absolutely, I love that, I love that. And a, a few things I feel like we need to unpack, unpack here, excuse me. So first, what myths need to be dispelled around disability employment? The biggest myth is that 
accommodations, I think, you know, accommodations, when I'm talking about accommodations, I mean, like the physical changes or um, equipment that need to be supported uh, for somebody, you know, that need to be given to somebody who has a disability. Uh, that is just, there's, there's a number of myths, but that's a big myth. Um, you do not have to change uh, the physical, you know, environment to support the person with a disability. Most disability accommodations actually cost nothing because people with the disability, they come into the workplace with their accessibility devices. Um, so that's one big myth. And the other, the other myth is that performance, people with disabilities aren't able to do the same level of work that a neurotypical person is able to do. So I'll give you an example, Bianca. You know, when we look at the autism um, community, uh, and I've experienced this by myself because I have hired someone uh, with Asperger's, and he was super hyper focused on the tasks that other people, neurotypical people, find, would find very, very frustrating. Um, so finding the right type of work for one's disability is 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 key, but also understanding that, you know, we put people in places where they can be successful and that can be done with a person, you know, a person with a disability can do that too. And often we've actually seen research from the Society of Human Resource Management that people with disabilities are um, uh, perform higher because they're more loyal. They're very grateful for the for the job that they have, for the opportunities that they that they've been given to them. Um, so I think those are the two biggest sort of myths around you know employing people with disabilities. I love that. I love that. Uh, and and two questions here. Uh, one, you mentioned one of the myths was uh, about equipment being needed. Could you mm -hmm. enumerate on that, please? Yeah, sure. So you know. Devices like, um, you know, large um, screen readers, like any any sort of d a technical um, a, a device that allows for um, access if you have a hearing impairment, for example, most people with disabilities actually come into the workplace with their own accommodations. Um, so that's what I mean by that. You're not going to require a massive and a significant uh, investment to accommodate that person with additional devices and, and physical equipment. That's that's exactly what I mean by that. Awesome. Uh, and my two part here, a uh, follow up question you mentioned for the gentleman that you hired. He has Asperger's syndrome, which is actually part of the autism spectrum. You mentioned that he enjoyed doing some of the tasks that other people didn't. Could you further enumerate on that, please? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people with autism, some people with autism, not everyone, because every single autism case is different and every, you know, the level of severity is, is different. Uh, but he enjoyed number crunching and developing reports, uh, beautiful reports that would go to the office of the CEO at the time. The, the care, the hyper-focus, uh, the attention to detail was extraordinary in this individual, just extraordinary. And I don't think a neurotypical person would enjoy doing that. And that's really what he wanted to do. You know, that was his gig. He loved doing it. And the other aspect of his disability was, you know, career pathing is different sometimes for people with autism or um, different, you know, different disabilities. Career pathing is not typically, you know, it, it's not always the traditional uh, career path. What I, what I mean by that is, you know, we all kind of grow in the in the workplace. There is a ladder for all of us to sort of, you know, we start off as junior analysts, we become managers, become senior managers. Some of us become CEOs of companies, you know, um, and the 
career pathing considerations for, for someone with a disability has to have a little bit of care and attention um, taken towards it uh, because that person may not want to be um, you know, a manager uh, because they enjoy doing the repetitive tasks uh, that others may not enjoy. Um, so we use their superpower uh, and put them in a position of success so we can all be successful. I love that, uh, their superpower, that's amazing. What steps can companies take to create a culture to support disability inclusive hiring? That's a great question. I think it really starts with um, being known internally. It takes a lot of work, by the way, Bianca. It takes a lot of work, deliberate work. I don't want to be sound like it's off-putting. It does create a much more um, robust environment, both for your clients and and you know internally with your employees. But there's so many steps that a company can can take. But the first step I would say is creating that culture of inclusion by using the right language and disability etiquette. I mean, it's really, really simple and basic. So uh, using inappropriate language, you know, there's the R word that we don't like to use to describe someone with a disability. We have uh, mandatory training. Training is absolutely critical in a company to create that sort of um, environment of inclusiveness for people with disabilities. So understanding the right language, understanding how to engage with someone um, who's a wheelchair user. So many of us are not comfortable with body language and how do I, can I look somebody in the eye? Can I touch them? Can I touch their wheelchair? You know, all of these things um, take a level of comfort and understanding. Um, So education, awareness, how to engage with someone with a disability is absolutely critical. So creating that culture um, internally takes deliberate action and training, um, both, um, you know, advocacy from the office of the CEO, but then also grassroots from the employees. Your company has to want to do this. Um, and, And most companies, I'll tell you, will absolutely want to do this because of all the benefits I've described before. But also, um, when we talk about hiring, which was your original question, creating that sort of, you know, culture of inclusion, um, hiring managers at my company, uh, we actually mandated training for, and it was an hour and a half training, uh, for all managers uh, with for disability inclusion and etiquette. And also, you know, when you do hire a person with a disability, what are the things that you need to do that may be a little different, right? So you know, understanding and and sharing of the accommodations policy, for example. Um, Most of us probably have no idea where to find that. And, you know, making sure it's available, that it's updated. Um, HR has a responsibility to do that, making sure it's available and known. Managers know where to get help and where to get support. So that's, that's, that I think is critical. Um, And hiring is, it's such a critical aspect of, Um, this whole inclusion um, journey, because if you don't hire, if you're not able to hire people with disabilities, then you don't get that representation. Um, And in all the sort of product development, research, marketing, brand uh, that every single company has to consider. So hiring, what we found is that, um, you know, we're a large-ish company, 6,000 people, right? Is we had a dedicated recruiter, uh, a recruiter that was dedicated to not just hiring people with uh, disabilities, but all, you know, a diverse um, recruiter, all all segments of of, um, inclusion. And that um, recruiter, and she's wonderful, um, has relationships with organizations, specific organizations that 
um, represent people with disabilities. Wounded Warriors is one of them. It's one of the, the good, you know, one of the, an excellent program. Um, and there are several of these sort of organizations that supply candidates specifically with disabilities. And then sometimes they provide on, on-site support after the um, employee has been offered the job um, and is, has started the employment in the work site. Wow, that's amazing. And this next question is uh, likely an extension of, of what you just said here. What do employers and HR professionals need to understand about the complex realities of people with disabilities and their caregivers and how best to support them? Yeah, so this is this is a great question, um, Bianca. And you know, we went we embarked on this journey early on with Voya um, because we knew that we had to make sure that our um, house was in order, that we were providing our employees with uh, the support systems that they needed. And some of these can be very inexpensive and, and simple. So, for example, um, creating an ERG, which stands for Employee Resource Group specifically for people with disabilities and caregivers, I think it's one of the most effective ways to to get like-minded employees so that they can talk to each other and help find resources. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. So, you know, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, If I'm looking for a specific resource locally, say I have a child, I'm a caregiver in the workplace, um, I can talk to like-minded people in the workplace, in the office. If I have a child with, I know, you know, one of our employees has a child with a disability, um, cerebral palsy, for example. Um, she's able to find, you know, like-minded and like um, people, employees, um, and they can chat and they can fi- um, discuss uh, where to find, you know, the right um, level of you know, medical care and that kind of thing. So an EIG is, is a great step um, in you know, creating that inclusion culture and finding, um, giving employees the opportunity to find each other and discuss, um, you know, what their particular issues are um, and, you know, where to find those resources. That's the first step, I think. Um, Another really important aspect of inclusion in the workplace and supporting um, employees with disabilities and caregivers is making sure that your employee benefits package actually supports their needs. Um, And, you know, caregivers and people with disabilities, every single case is different. Every single situation is going to be different. A couple of solutions that we use within our our company, um, we use a caregiver concierge service. Um, This is a a service, um, there are many out there. Wealthy is one of them, CareLoop is another. And what they do is, um, it's it's similar to an EAP, Employee Assistance Program, but is specifically for people with disabilities or caregivers. Um, and they find resources. So if you have an aging parent, you're a caregiver of an aging parent, uh, they're in a different state, um, and you know you don't want to take PTO or you cannot take PTO for three or four weeks to find the right you know, nursing home, care home, um, they'll do that for you. And they're very, very effective at, at doing that. So that's one way to sort of support your employees with with disabilities. There are so many different types of benefits that we can talk about, um, but that's one of the really sort of effective ways um, because absenteeism in the caregiver community um, can be big because you you know you can't work unless you have uh, mom or dad with Alzheimer's or your child with a disability safe, happy, and cared for. Um, you can't leave the house or you can't work. So it's very important to help employees 
so that they can focus on, you know, getting to work or, or whatever they need. So that's that's one good um, piece of um, one great benefit. Um, the other benefits are student loan um, debt assistance and tuition um, reimbursement programs, because we know that a significant proportion or 62 percent of loans are held by borrowers with disabilities and they default at, on, on, at, at some point. So people with disabilities across all ages and educational levels are likely to be uh, unemployed or, you know, work part time uh, or to be self-employed. So having, you know, that assistance is incredibly, you know, helpful from a financial perspective. Um, and then just lastly, one more sort of um, financial tool um, is uh, ABLE accounts, our ABLE accounts. Um, ABLE accounts are similar to a 529 education accounts, uh, but are available um, for people with disabilities <clears throat> and provide a unique tax advantage, advantage savings and investment account to really, you know, improve the life of that person with a disability without jeopardizing or interrupting um, access to government benefits if they have access to government benefits. I know I said a lot, Bianca, but there's just so much <laughs> to say in this space. I know it's amazing. I love that. Feel free to never stop. <laughs> You're the expert here. We want to have our listeners uh, learn as much as they can. And of course, this is an important part of the community, as you said, the, the larger workforce. So we all want to be included. There's no reason why those with disabilities and special needs should be excluded. It's everyone's time. We're going to um, segue a little bit uh, in a different direction here. Where do you see corporate culture headed, especially in regards to disability inclusion? You know, the last couple of years um, and with the you know pandemic, um, the nimbleness of so many companies in the, in the U.S. Um, going to sort of a more remote or even hybrid culture um, has really created this flexible working arrangement, which the disabilities community has been lobbying for years. You know, it, removing that access to that barrier uh, to transportation and allow, allows for so much more access to employment because now we have all the tools that we need, right? We have Zoom, we have um, all of these facilities at our, in our home. Um, and if you think about, you know, someone who is a wheelchair user, they could spend half their day getting into the workplace. So it removes that, you know, that barrier. And I've often been on um, uh, Zoom meetings where someone has a disability. You you cannot even see it. I mean, you can't even uh, physical disability. So it just it just levels the playing field for you know more flexible arrangements, and especially allows for women, especially women caregivers who have children. Uh, to, um, you know, have that flexibility so that they can work. Um, you know, the great resignation, as we all know, was all about burnout, um, the lack of growth opportunities. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the silver lining here, uh, post-pandemic, and as we get to that position, hopefully one day, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, that this remote work um, and the ability to offer remote work really allows the opening uh, of this talent pool uh, because, you know, someone with um, a veteran, for example, with a prosthetic leg or, a, um, you know, is, who's a wheelchair user um, is able to go into their workplace and, and contribute equally. Um, so I think there are so many pluses um, to this new world. Um, and I think it's just 
just an amazing thing for the disabilities community in terms of employment. I've got one more question for you, Jessica, but before I get to that, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add or talk about? Yeah, I I do want to talk about um, the advocacy and leadership uh, that starts at the very top of a company. So our CEO is an advocate and a passionate uh, believer in disability inclusion, sees the benefit Um, We differentiate ourselves because of our disability um, inclusion and special needs planning uh, program, which is Voya Cares, which is what I lead, because nobody else has that asset. None of our peers has that asset. And I think that this is such a differentiator for us. It really impacts our business and other companies like Target, for example. Um, Everyone knows Target in the retail space. They um, started to um, uh, make and manufacture clothes for people with disabilities that are wheelchair users. Well, can you imagine the loyalty from those, uh, from that massive community, one in four, one in five of us, right? Um, the loyalty and the brand um, halo effect is is unbelievable. It, it's incredible. So um, you get that sort of loyalty uh, with, with your clients. So I think, you know, just getting back to what I wanted to, to talk about was advocacy, leadership, um, and not just the not just the C-suite. I think it starts with the entire workforce. Education is and training, DEI training, is absolutely critical um, because we all have unconscious biases. Um, and I think we have more of an unconscious bias with with someone with a disability. They're the most discriminated um, minority there is out there. Yes. So um, you know that that education and deliberate education. Um, mandating it if you need to, to the entire workforce. Um, And I'll tell you something, you know, when we did mandate it, everyone was like, oh gosh, why do I have to, you know, why do I have to do this another course? We found that we got incredibly positive um, feedback from our employees because we're giving them a social skill that they never had before and awareness around a social element. Um, Many of us have never really been sort of, you know, we we didn't go to school and we didn't get uh, disability etiquette training. None of us really had that. So we spend our entire lives, unless we have a strong connection to the disabilities community, many of us are unaware. Um, So education training is critical for companies to ensure that you create that inclusive culture. Um, And then accountability, which is all about, you know, measurement from the C-suite down, making sure that you have programs to include people with disabilities, that your employees are comfortable self-identifying. One little note on um, self-identification. Self-identification is the process where, you know, you identify as a minority. Uh, A lot of people with disabilities are reluctant to do that because they feel like they'll be discriminated or passed over for promotion or or they'll, you know, um, experience retribution or whatever it may be. Once you establish that culture of inclusivity in a company, then your employees will feel more comfortable um, self-identifying. And why is self-identifying identification so important? The reason why it's so important is because it gives you access to more resources. So the accommodations policy, the benefits that may be open to you that you don't or may not know about, that, that's why it's so important to you know, express um, your own disability uh, so that you can you know, represent uh, the community um, much more louder than, than if, you ha- if you don't um, self-disclose. Absolutely. I love that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And my final question for you, Jessica, what's on your heart? 
what's on my heart? So many different things right now. You know, our country is experiencing so many different things. I think one of the things that I love doing most is supporting and um, helping young women in their in the workplace with disabilities find jobs. That coaching, mentoring is one of the most enjoyable, rewarding aspects of my job. Um, and I want to be able to do more of that. Um, but I see that I've been really successful doing it, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, but I want others to do the same. I want other women, other people to be able to provide those opportunities because we all know and we can all help young people find jobs. Um, and, you know, I've become known for, for doing that. Um, sometimes I don't always have the time, but I make the time to do that. But that's really what I want to do is I want to really help young women, especially in the disabilities community, women of color, find those opportunities so that they can have employment and, and pay it forward so that they can have the successes that any neurotypical person enjoys um, and equal the, you know, and the, the playing field uh, for those opportunities. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. I truly appreciate your time with me today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bianca. I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to meeting with you next one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, we'll have your seat waiting for you.